Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for Tuesday, December 21st, 2021. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, the James Webb Space Telescope is launching on Friday. Here's what to expect and why astronomers are so stressed out about it. Plus, Scotland may soon be issuing a three centuries overdue pardon to the victims of its many witchcraft trials. And when the snowstorms come this season, your town might just be de-icing the roads with beet juice. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. So this Friday, Christmas Eve, fingers crossed, the James Webb Space Telescope will finally take to the skies. Delayed numerous times, stretching the resources of multiple space agencies as part of an international collaboration and ultimately costing $10 billion. The most expensive and biggest telescope in history is poised to answer many questions that we've had about the origins of the universe and probably lead to even more. Quoting Slate, The space telescope you're probably most familiar with is Hubble, launched in 1990. Hubble showed us the age of the universe, the black holes at the core of nearly every galaxy, and a 3D map of dark matter, with its 7.8-foot primary mirror and cameras, spectrographs, and interferometers. JWST expands humanity's views by looking at the infrared slice of the light spectrum. Hubble mainly operates in the visible light spectrum and ultraviolet. JWST is built for infrared light, which has longer wavelengths. With its longer wavelengths, infrared light is better at slipping through dusty clouds unimpeded, meaning JWST will be able to see celestial objects hidden from Hubble's eye. Infrared is also where you can observe the oldest galaxies in the universe. As the universe expands, wavelengths of light itself are stretched. What was once emitted as visible or ultraviolet light is now infrared. End quote. As some of the scientists working on the telescope described it in a piece yesterday in The Conversation, quote, JWST is so sensitive that it could theoretically detect the heat signature of a bumblebee at the distance of the moon, end quote. So that is a key way that JWST is going to be able to get an eye on some of the earliest galaxies, potentially helping us better understand or even altering existing notions about the origins of the universe. Or as Dennis Overby put it, maybe, maybe not hyperbolically in the New York Times, quote, There are only a few times in the history of a species when it gains the know-how, the audacity, and the tools to greatly advance the interrogation of its origins. Humanity is at such a moment, astronomers say. End quote. Though, as Slate points out, while it is incredibly exciting and science communicators are doing an excellent job of hyping up what is so unique about this endeavor, a lot of the astronomers and engineers working on the telescope are stressed out of their wildest dreams, to the point that a hashtag for panicked memes has emerged, JWST Launch Memes. Part of their stress stems from the many delays over many years and more recently from the 18th to the 22nd and now to the 24th, but it's also because so much hinges on this launch. It is such a massive and expensive undertaking that failure likely means it's just the end. No do-overs like on other smaller missions. And there are plenty of opportunities for failure, 344 of them to be precise. 
The telescope is currently all folded up inside the nose of an Ariana 5 rocket, and after it blasts off on Friday morning, knock on wood, the telescope will steadily unfold on its own over the course of nearly a month as it travels a million miles out beyond the moon. Quoting the New York Times, First, antennas will pop out and aim at Earth, enabling communication. Then, the scaffolding for a sunscreen the size of a tennis court will open, followed by the sunscreen itself, made of five thin sheets of plastic called Kapton. Finally, 18 gold-plated beryllium hexagons will snap into place to form a segmented mirror 6.5 meters, or 21 feet, across. By then, the telescope will have reached its destination, a point called L2, floating on its sunshield and aimed at eternity. End quote. Sounds fairly simple when summarized like that, but without any astronauts or robots on the craft directing or correcting the process, it's going to be a nerve-wracking experience to watch from afar. Launch this week is one thing. The month of unfolding and five more months of calibrations and checks is being called six months of high anxiety by some astronomers. But of course, due diligence has been done and more. Delays are probably a good thing in this case, a sign that everything is being checked and given the review that it needs. Quoting again from the team in the conversation, No previous space observatory has been subjected to more testing and scrutiny than JWST. It has survived cancellations, design changes, and technical mistakes. It has also survived budgetary woes, natural disasters such as Hurricane Harvey, a pandemic, and even the threat of piracy as it journeyed from California to French Guiana through the Panama Canal, end quote. About a week after launch, the first big test will come as that tennis court-sized sunshield deploys, a shield used to shroud the telescope in darkness, a necessary move towards temperature control, because in order to detect the infrared light, the telescope has to be incredibly cold, less than 45 degrees Celsius above absolute zero. Then comes the unfolding of the primary mirror, which has to be folded because it's so large, and it has to be so large in order to observe those early stars and galaxies. The New York Times notes that if this whole origami telescope plan works, it could set the stage for a new era of giant telescopes that would have previously been considered too big to fit on rockets. But if it fails... Then NASA goes back to the drawing board, concluding a mission that began in some ways as far back as the early 90s. This telescope has been a long time coming. At one point, it was even supposed to launch back in 2011, and it's been a huge time and money suck for decades, and not been without controversy, some from the ever-expanding budget and myriad technical setbacks, and others from the choice of name. The James Webb Space Telescope was not a popular name from the jump. Many astronomers hoped it would be named after a great scientist from history, like telescopes often are, not an administrator without a scientific background, no matter how crucial the work of NASA Administrator James Webb was during the Apollo program. But as the years dragged on, more astronomers spoke up about Webb's potential role in the firing of LGBT government workers during the Truman administration. Citing a petition signed by 1,200 scientists and space enthusiasts, NPR explained, quote, They say Webb seems to have been complicit in the purge of homosexual people from government jobs during his time in public service, including when he served in a high-level position in the U.S. State Department. They cite evidence such as the interrogation of NASA employee Clifford Norton, who was fired in 1963 while Webb was directing the agency. The historical record is already clear. Under Webb's leadership, queer people were persecuted, the letter says. 
Shonda Prescott-Weinstein, a cosmologist at the University of New Hampshire who co-authored an article calling for the telescope to be renamed, said, I think we have two options here. Either he was a wildly incompetent administrator and didn't know that his head of security was interrogating employees in NASA facilities, or he knew exactly what was going on and he was in some sense party to overseeing the interrogation of someone for being gay. End quote. The uproar caused NASA to investigate the matter, working with historians to, quote, examine Webb's role in government, end quote. They didn't offer any other details about that investigation, but stated in September that they found no evidence that warrants changing the name of the telescope. And nonetheless, there is a ton of anticipation for Friday's launch, and not just from all the thousands who have worked on it over the years, but from scientists around the world who are eagerly anticipating the telescope's findings. In addition to looking at signs for the origins of the universe, JWST will also provide invaluable data to the growing set of research on exoplanets. Quoting again from the Times, as it turns out, infrared emissions are also ideal for studying exoplanets. As an exoplanet passes in front of its star, its atmosphere is backlit, enabling scientists on Earth to study the spectroscopic signatures of elements and molecules. Ozone is one such molecule of interest, as is water, said Sarah Sager, a planetary expert at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. The astronomers with viewing time on the Webb telescope have made a list of about 65 exoplanets to observe. All are relatively nearby, circling small stars known as red dwarfs. Some of the most anticipated early observations with the Webb will be of the planets in the TRAPPIST-1 system, just 40 light-years away. There, seven planets circle a dim red dwarf star. Three are Earth-sized rocks orbiting in the habitable zone, where water could exist on the surface. End quote. There is so, so much that we might learn here in the coming years. And if you want to watch the launch on Friday, NASA will be live streaming on their website, apps, and social media channels beginning at 6 a.m. Eastern Time, with launch targeted for 7.20 a.m. More details at the NASA link in the show notes. As the team of JWST scientists writing in the conversation said, quote, We are poised on the edge of new discoveries about the origins of our universe and our place within it. Insights that will fill the pages of the textbooks of tomorrow. End quote. Three hundred plus years after nearly 4,000 people, mostly women, were tried and two-thirds of those executed in Scotland under the Witchcraft Act of 1563, the government is now poised to pardon and offer official apologies to those individuals. And just to put that into perspective, during the Salem Witch Trials, only 300 people were accused and 19 executed. I know that that was a village versus a whole nation, but still, we hear way more about Salem, even though it was a relative blip in the overall witchcraft panic of that era. The Witchcraft Act in Scotland was repealed in the 18th century, but no pardons or memorials were ever given. Quoting the Scotsman, However, after a two-year campaign by the Witches of Scotland group launched on International Women's Day in 2020, a private member's bill to clear the names of those accused, which has secured the support of First Minister Nicola Sturgeon's administration, is to be brought to the Scottish Parliament, end quote. 
In a manifesto from the National Advisory Council on Women and Girls reads, quote, For generations, our history has been written by one gender, one perspective, one vision, one half of the population. Half of history is missing. For years, we've been striving for change, but now is the time to change for good. To design a future where gender inequality is a historical curiosity. With the voice of everyone, we want to create a Scotland where we're all equal, with an equal future. End quote. This call for pardons echoes a similar move by Massachusetts back in 2001 when the state's House of Representatives declared victims of the Salem witch trials to be innocent, and also follows a United Nations resolution from this summer condemning human rights violations associated with witchcraft accusations, because yes, they absolutely still happen, and they still largely stem from the same prejudices and systemic inequalities. Quoting The Guardian, the earliest witch hunts were sanctioned by James VI of Scotland, later James I of England and Ireland, who believed witches plotted against his Danish bride by summoning up storms to sink his ships. With witchcraft a capital crime, the convicted were usually strangled to death, then burned at the stake so as to leave no body to bury. Many confessed under torture, which included sleep deprivation, the crushing and pulling out of fingernails, and pricking of the skin with needles and bodkins to see if the accused bled. End quote. And there were many reasons that a woman, or any person but overwhelmingly women, could be accused of being a witch, a lot of it made up by people who just had it out for them. Like examples The Guardian gives of Lilius Addy, who was accused of giving her neighbor a hangover, and Isabel Young, who was executed after a stable boy accused her of shape-shifting into an owl. The Witches of Scotland also brought up the connection between witches and alewives, women who sold beer, or brewsters who made the beer. Once a domestic practice that possibly gave us the symbols we associate with witches today, and which got taken over by men once they realized it could be a profitable industry. To push women competitors out, many men accused the women of purposefully poisoning their brews and performing other acts of witchcraft. You can hear more about that on an episode I did about it back in March if you missed it then, link in the show notes. But in any case, this bill is being brought forward in Scotland, and the group behind it is hoping for official pardons, apologies, and a national monument to the victims. Member of the Scottish Parliament Natalie Don said in The Scotsman, quote, This injustice needs to be put right, and these people who are criminalized, mostly women, should be pardoned. By righting this wrong, we will most certainly make an impact in challenging gendered and patriarchal attitudes which still exist in society today. End quote. With the solstice today, winter has officially begun in the Northern Hemisphere, and along with it, in some parts of the world, upcoming snowstorms and lots and lots of salt. Bloomberg notes that 15 to 17 million tons of road salt are used on streets just in the U.S. every winter season. And that de-icing salt is not so great for the environment. It gets into waterways, contaminates ecosystems, and can even eat through steel on buildings and the snowplows themselves. And that's why more and more places are looking into more eco-friendly alternatives. A popular contender? Beet juice. 
Quoting Bloomberg, The extract of sugar beets, when combined with traditional ice-melting chlorides, can be more effective at lowering the freezing point of water than salt alone. It's also more biodegradable and less corrosive to vehicles. Discovered by a Hungarian scientist in the 1990s, the just-add-beets method has spread across North America, joining a host of other agricultural byproducts, including pickle juice, cheese brine, and leftover beer, sprayed on streets in a quest to cut the dangerous salt habit that highway departments have picked up. End quote. Yes, pickles, cheese, and beer. Keeping ever strong to their brand, Wisconsin has been using cheese brine as part of their de-icing strategy for the last decade. Denver Preston, the sales manager of K-Tech Specialty Coatings, which makes a de-icer called Beet Heat, says that their product, which uses beet molasses instead of beet juice, is more effective than plain old rock salt, so crews save about $4 for everyone they spend on beet heat. He also says that it smells better, but tastes really bitter, which is a plus because traditional rock salt attracts deer who like licking the salty roads and end up getting hit by cars. Now, while several states have already been experimenting with beets or other organic compounds as at least part of their de-icing strategy, others aren't convinced yet. Quoting again, research suggests that vegetable-based de-icing compounds can still have some environmental ill effects. They're harmful to water-dwelling insects like mayflies and add nutrients to waterways that contribute to noxious algae blooms, end quote. The lack of long-term data yet is causing some environmental departments to stick to their rock salt for now, but they are implementing programs to reduce how much is being used. Which is fair enough, but uh, I kind of can't wait until our winter roads are just coated in a bunch of beer, cheese, and vegetables. So just a quick heads up on holiday scheduling for the show. There will be no new episodes Thursday and Friday of this week and Thursday and Friday of next week. So I'll be back tomorrow and again on Monday through Wednesday of next week, but wanted to give you a little heads up because I know especially around this time of year, people don't always listen to every single daily episode of their shows. But that is it for me for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotki.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.